that's because um, it's great if, if you can't make it that you can pick it up from the uh, I Know uh, app. But if you can make it, I'd encourage you to do so because it's great when we all come together. Um, <coughs> as we said, it's week two of our Lent series looking at uh, servant heart or servanthood. Uh, last week we looked at volunteer, servant or slave, which you'll know if you've got one of the bookmarks which we produced. There's some on the way out. Please take one. They are quite sturdy. Look, it's not floppy. It's good. good quality. And you'll see on there week by week what we're doing um, in, the stu- in the studies. Um, <coughs> so last week, as we said, we looked at volunteer, servant or slave. And we looked at how it's good to volunteer. And we looked at Ruth and Orpah. And they volunteered to stay with Naomi, who was their mother-in-law, after she'd lost her husband and two sons. We then looked at actually how shifting that attitude from volunteer to servant takes it to another level. And although they volunteered, Oprah and Ruth were free to leave Naomi at any time. Naomi gave them the option to do so, Oprah did, but Ruth decided to stay and serve Naomi. And then we looked at, ultimately though, if we've made a decision to follow Christ, we've given up our ownership rights and we are slaves to him. And in that situation, we don't have a choice but to serve and do so without any expectation of further reward because we've already been granted everything we could possibly need. And through that, we can gain freedom. This week, if you've picked one of your bookmarks up, you'll know that we're looking at a heart to serve, Naaman's servant girl. So let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 verse and we'll look at verses 1 to 19 it's going to come up on the screen if you haven't got uh, your bible or your or your app with you uh, Naaman healed of leprosy now Naaman was a commander in the army of the king of Aram he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram he was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy Now bands of raiders from Aaron had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aaron replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to meet me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And at Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a range. 
Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he came and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temples of Rimon to bow down and he's leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Hands up if you watch films. Gemma Gemma Arias, sorry, does. She didn't put her hand up straight away. Um, Does anybody watch them right through to the very end? Yes, Phil does enthusiastically. And sometimes it's worth it, isn't it? Because sometimes they'll put like little outtakes on the end, little funny bits. And uh, and sometimes they put like a little hidden scene on the on the end. Does anybody remember Wayne's World and the Scooby Doo ending? No, it's worth looking at. <laughs> I remember going to see a film once. It was called Mike Bassett, England Manager. Purely because my friend was working for Dolby at the town at the time, and. He'd been involved in mixing the sound and he got his name on the credits for the first time. It was a big deal for us. So we stayed and we watched them all scrolling up. And, uh, and they, yeah, Richard Welsh, round of applause in the cinema. He wasn't with us either. We just did it for, for fun. You'll notice I said I watched the film once because I can't recommend the film to you. Uh, apart from the excellently mixed soundtrack, that is. But there's all sorts of jobs, isn't there? As you watch the film, credits go up, they're scrolling up. There's all sorts there. There's the, the gaffer. There's the grip. There's, a, there's the assistant grip. There's the assistant grip's assistant. Um, I like the Python wrangler, who apparently is the guy who unreels all the sound cables. Aaron can be our py- Python wrangler at the Church Junction 10. And if you see the credits going up, it seems like everyone who's possibly ever been involved in making that film is credited at the end because they just go on and on and on, don't they? But this morning we're focusing on someone whose name we're never told. Other servants or slaves in the Bible are named, such as Rhoda in Acts, but we're never told the name of Naaman's servant girl. She's one of the characters in the Bible who doesn't get a name. And in prepping this morning... I read a quick story about three three guys who were talking about death, and one said to the others, well, when we die, what would you want people to say at your funeral? And the first one said, well, he was a great man. He cared for his community. The second one said, he was a wonderful husband and father. He was an example to many. 
The third one says, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> so there's no name for this character, for this servant girl. But 3,000 or so years later, after one brief episode in her lifetime, what can we learn, what can we say about her? Well, what do we know about her? Well, we read that she was an Israelite, so therefore she was one of God's chosen people. She was young, not yet an adolescent. She was a slave or a servant. She'd been captured by the Arameans during one of the raids into Israel. She may have been captured with a family, we don't know. She may have been, she may have seen her family be killed and then captured. She may have been captured by Naaman, or she may have been purchased at a slave market and separated from her family then. We don't know how exactly she came to be on her own. And although we refer to her as Naaman's servant girl, she was actually serving his wife. So here we have then a young girl taken into slavery because Israel was defeated, because Israel had been disobedient. She'd been taken from a family, taken from a people, taken from a nation, her customs, and made to serve in a foreign land. And just for a moment, just put yourself in her shoes. Just think, if you'd been captured, taken from the people you love, or you'd ever known, and were made to work for a master who'd led an army against your nation, almost certainly killed people from your nation, possibly killed your family, how would you have responded? How would I have responded in that scenario? Let's add the spiritual element to it as well. We read this, this girl was an Israelite. She's one of God's chosen people. Yet look where she ended up. Where was God? How would she be feeling towards God in that situation? There were good reasons for the servant girl to not want to help her master. She had every reason to have a hatred towards him, perhaps. He was an enemy of the nation. He was a highly regarded soldier. If the Israelites found out that Naaman was ill, they'd have probably been delighted because he meant he couldn't fight anymore. He'd condemned her to a life of slavery. And, you know, she'd have had to put up... He had leprosy. She'd have had to put up with the, with the sight and the smell of his flesh rotting and probably been exposed to the disease herself at the same time. But you know what? The servant girl put aside how she was feeling the circumstances, because she saw an individual who needed God's healing, who needed healing by her ultimate master. And she had total faith in his ability to heal. In verse 3, would we have had the same attitude? If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. As an Israelite, she knew the promises of God. She'd probably heard them spoken by prophets or her parents back in the home country. She'd have known in Genesis 17, 7 to 8, it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, that is Abraham, and your descendants after you, for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. She'd have known Exodus 19.5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. The greatest promise you would have heard is how in his mercy God was going to send the Messiah in Genesis 3. 
who's going to be the saviour, being blessing not only to Israel but to all nations. God had made these promises and despite her circumstances, despite looking around perhaps and thinking, I can't see how this is going to work, she held on to it. She recognised that she served somebody far more important than Naaman or Naaman's wife and she had to be obedient to him and speak up regardless of how she felt. There's a famous American economist called John Kenneth Galbraith and there's a story in his autobiography about his housekeeper, Emily Watson. And he emphasises the importance of recognising and obeying your true master. The story goes... He writes, I'd had a wearying day and asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson, who was the President of the United States, was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. He's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, Mr. President. I work for him, not for you. When the president called back, he could scare, sorry, when John Galbraith called the president back, Lyndon Johnson could barely contain his pleasure. Tell that woman I want to hear working in the White House. Emily Watson was obedient to her master despite the circumstances in which she found herself. Would I have had the courage to say no to the president of the United States? How brave was Emily Watson in doing that? Just think though about the braveness of the, of the servant girl in speaking up as she did. Despite the circumstances, despite being captured, working as a servant, despite it perhaps being easier to keep quiet, she spoke up. Why would anybody want to listen to her? She's just a servant girl. They could have ignored her. They could have punished her for suggesting something so, such a thing. They could have seen it, is this a scheme to get to go back to Israel in a weakened state so that we can be attacked? But it didn't. Because she, she obviously shone love out, which caused them to listen to her. And she was prepared to speak up. And in speaking up, as we look at the story, not only was Naaman physically healed, but he came to recognise there was only one true God and he became a believer. And if we are to truly be servants, it may be in serving those who we don't want to. Sometimes serving people who've wronged us. Are we prepared to, to pray and serve, pray for and serve those who we're in conflict with? Does your boss make your life hard? Do you continue to work for them joyfully? I'm not saying be a doormat and be walked over. But, you know, when you, see to start, when you start to see them struggling, or maybe you see them become ill, do we help them? Do we pray for them, support them? Or do we keep quiet and secretly going, ha, serves them right for being so mean in the first place? Whatever your role is in life, however you're called to serve, in the everyday normality of life, do we recognise who our true master is 
and seek to do his will? Do we serve with obedience to the one who's called us, who gave everything for us? Because you know what? If we do, as we serve, we bring hope to situations. And you'll be surprised what impact that has. It's not always about words in terms of telling people about your faith and demonstrate. It's about demonstrating it and the impact that has. Last week when I was concluding, I mentioned three things to look at when serving. The first one was to check motives. Well, this servant girl, she was only interested in her owner being healed. We've looked, she had every reason to despise Naaman. He may have treated her well, but the circumstances were such that she had every reason to despise him. But she didn't, she wanted the best for him. We also said that when serving, you should expect difficulty. Well, the servant girl spoke up, despite not knowing how Naaman or his wife would react. She knew it was the right thing to do, even if the consequences could have been bad for her. She spoke up. And the final thing was to put others first. And I don't think there can be any argument that the servant put her master's health and happiness first in her priorities. But you know what? There's another servant in the story of Naaman, a servant who is often overlooked. But this servant gets a name. And that's Elisha's servant, Gehazi. If Naaman's servant girl demonstrates everything you'd want to from, from someone with a servant heart. What about Gehazi? Well, if you turn back with me to 2 Kings, and we'll pick it up from 19 again. It says, After Naaman had travelled some distance, Gehazi, the son of Elisha, the man of God, said to him, My master has, was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he bought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman, when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the, up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes? or olive groves and vineyards, or flocks and herds, or male and female slaves. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Gehazi couldn't believe that Naaman was allowed to leave, that Elisha was allowing Naaman to leave, having received healing, having realised who the true God was, without giving something back in return. Gehazi didn't understand the concept of servanthood. Real serving is about giving without expecting anything in return. Expects no reward from men, no reward 
comes only from God. Maybe Gehazi took pride in having the title servant of the prophet of God. And he probably loved being around the, the presence of God. But, you know, he put an earthly value on his service. And he felt, in this case, that that value hadn't been recognised. And his heart was after the things of this world. Because Elisha and Gehazi should have, had, should have known this, but they already had God's greatest blessing upon them. They were cared for, they were loved, they were protected. God provided everything. Elisha didn't accept payment because God had done the healing, not Elisha. Elisha had given a gift, as it was his duty, his honour, his pleasure. It wasn't him for him to be rewarded. But we've read, Gehazi chases after Naaman. He invents some story about two guests have arrived. And Elisha actually, thinking about it, we could do with a, 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 a little something. Give us a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. But Gehazi, actually, wasn't doing this for Elisha, he was doing it for himself. He felt that he was owed. He felt it was an opportunity to line his own pocket. This is where it starts to unravel for Gehazi, because I think he was surprised by Naaman's response. He'd asked for one talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Of course, he could probably carry that back himself, hide it away, nobody would see, job done. However, Naaman's generosity blew him out of the water. A talent of silver, they say, weighed about 80 to 90 pounds. That's 36 to 40 kilogram if you're metric or European. Um, Ghazi thought to himself, I can carry that. I can carry it, hide it, spend it, no one will know. What did Naaman do? He gave him two talents. He now had to carry nearly 200 pounds of silver. What was he going to do? But then Naaman says, tell you what, I'll, my servants will carry it for you. They'll go ahead, they'll carry it for you. So now, not only was he had to get rid of all loot, but how was he going to explain coming back with two of Naaman's servants? In verse 24, it says, When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. I'm sure at that moment, he let out a big sigh. He'd done it. He got what he felt he was deserved. The ill-gotten gains were out of sight. No one will know. The witnesses are gone. But of course, we read, don't we, that Elisha, he was a, Gehazi couldn't have been very bright, could he? Working for the prophet. And he thought he could get away with it because Elisha saw it prophetically. He knew exactly what he'd done. And then he was punished by taking on Naaman's leprosy. So those three things we said that we looked at in terms of serving, how does Gehazi match up with those? The first one, check motives. What were Gehazi's motives? Sadly, I think it was just to serve himself, wasn't it? The second one was to expect difficulty. The problem here was, I don't think he did expect difficulty. He had it all planned out, what he was going to do. But then Naaman's generosity put a spanner in the works. 
And the last one, put others first. I don't think guys he had anybody's interest in mind but his own at this time. You know, we don't know whether Naaman ever knew that he was tricked into giving two talents of silver and clothing. He probably went away thinking that he blessed Elisha. But Gehazi suffered. So, a story with two characters, both with the same title of servant, but only one of them is named. And it's the named servant who gets it so wrong. So aside from everything else that we've looked at this morning, if there's just one thing you take away, I think there's a lesson in that itself. And that when it comes to serving, it's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about giving the best for others. Next week, week three, we look at the character of a servant. And we do Joseph, and I'm not doing that one, so you're all right with that there. And we're going to sing our, our final song. Uh, I don't think we did take the offering earlier, so we're going to take our offering on, the, on this song as well. Uh, if you can, can come back tonight, then you'd be more than welcome. It'd be great to see you. So we're looking at intimacy with God with Brian this week. As